All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we're going to have some fun on this Friday discussing three possible trades that the Atlanta Falcons should make before the trade deadline. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years over at FalcFans.com. R.I.P. Still going strong on Twitter at FalcFans, putting up weekly content at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been the place to get tasty, affordable food. It's the unofficial community center. A big thank you to McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. So today's episode, we will be talking about an ESPN article that suggested that the Falcons should trade kicker Young Way Koo, which sounds crazy, but you know, I'm going to argue maybe not as crazy as you think, and we'll examine that trade. And then in addition to that, I have two trade proposals that I came up with my own that feature five Falcons that could be shopped in Dante Fowler, Jalen Mayfield, Deion Jones, Hayden Hurst, and Deron Harmon, and see what I try to get back in return for those guys, possibly a top 50 draft pick, possibly a speedy receiver that regular listeners have heard me pining for quite a bit on recent episodes of Locked On Falcons. But before we get into that, I want to give my thanks to those of you that are regular listeners here of Locked On Falcons and making this show your first listen of the day. Of course, Locked On Falcons is free and available on all various podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify, and of course, now available on YouTube. So go ahead and subscribe to the video version of the Locked On Falcons podcast by heading over to Locked On Falcons on YouTube. Leave a comment, give us a like, all the various things. But today's episode, we're going to be having a little bit of fun. And normally we do probably like keys to victory for this Sunday's matchup against Miami. But I just wanted to have some fun and not necessarily focus on this weekend's action. And if you're curious what I think the result of Sunday's game will be, I expect the Falcons to win. I think they'll probably wind up with a 27 to 23 victory in favor of Atlanta. So if you're tuning in to get my thoughts on the final results Sunday, there you have it. But with that out of the way, let's have some fun on today's episode. And in case you missed it, ESPN's Bill Barnwell put out an article today on Thursday uh, in which he proposed 10 trades ahead of the November 2nd NFL trade deadline that he thinks would work for both teams. And one of those involved the Falcons. He figured these are somewhat realistic trades. Uh, and, you know, a lot of Falcon fans, at least based off of the Twitter reactions, seem to think it was a very unrealistic trade that Barnwell had proposed for the Falcons. And he had the Falcons dealing kicker Youngway Koo to the L.A. Chargers in exchange for backup offensive tackle Trey Pipkins and a fifth round pick in next year's draft. And first, before we talk about trading Youngway Koo, let's talk about what the Falcons get back in this trade. A fifth round pick for a kicker is a pretty good deal. Uh, but in the article, 
Barnwell mentions Pipkins as a potential alternate option for the Falcons at right tackle, given some concerns about Kayla McGarry. Regular listeners of the podcast know that I have less concerns about Kayla McGarry, but let's talk about Trey Pipkins. Um, you know, given the limited sample size we've seen of Trey Pipkins in his short NFL career, I believe this is year three for him with the Chargers. He looks like a definite downgrade from Kayla McGarry. And so I don't really see him as a viable alternative. He's just basically the, the Falcons getting a backup offensive tackle. But you're probably sitting there saying like, Aaron, no one cares about Trey Pipkins. We care about Young Way Koo. Why would the Falcons trade Young Way Koo? And of course, it makes sense why you would be very skeptical of that, given that Koo has been arguably the most reliable and most consistent player on the entire team this season. He's only he's the only consistently good thing about the Falcons struggling special teams this year. He made his first clutch kick of his career a few weeks back and is a young up and coming kicker at age 27 with seemingly a very long career ahead of him here in Atlanta. But I don't think trading young way is as crazy as you might think based off of that information. Ku is in a contract year, meaning he will be a free agent next year, although he will be only a restricted free agent next year, meaning that the Falcons can keep him next year if they choose to tender him. But because Ku was originally entering the NFL as an undrafted free agent, uh, it's likely that the Falcons, if they were going to retain Ku, would have to tender him at the second round level, meaning that if another team did try to sign Ku away and steal him away from the Falcons next offseason, they would have to compensate the Falcons with a second round draft pick in order to do so. That's something that a team is not going to do. So it would effectively kill any chance of Ku walking by giving him that second round tender. But the second round tender, at least according to overthecap.com, for next year is projected to be roughly $4 million. Uh, that's not a backbreaking amount of money, but it's certainly not cheap. And then when you consider that the Falcons have several other restricted free agents that could be hitting the market next offseason, like Jaden Graham, Jacob Tuity Mariner, Alameda Zacchaeus, Colby Gossett, and several others, you know, even if the Falcons were to tender those guys at the lowest level, which is about $2.4 million based off of over the cast projections, that money would start to add up. And for a team that is as cash and cap strapped as the Falcons are likely to be, finding ways to cut corners makes a ton of sense in regards to their salary cap situation. And that was one of the things that Barnwell pointed out in the article as a justification for moving on for Young Waku. And I kind of agree with him at least in principle, right? So you say, well, Aaron, the Falcons should just give Young Way Koo a long-term contract. That would make him cheaper next year, right? And normally you would be right um, that, you know, you could cheap get a guy for less money by giving him a long-term contract. That's usually how it works. The market price for a kicker, however, is about four to $5 million for a top-end kicker like you would expect Young Way Koo to be paid like, it's about 4 to $5 million. Now, again, normally you would just sort of backload that contract, meaning that his contract would start out low and then increase as time wears on so that you can maximize your immediate cap savings in that regard. Uh, but that's not typically how teams structure kicker contracts in the NFL. Typically, when a team, say, gives a kicker a four-year contract worth $4 million a year, they will structure it so that that kicker gets paid $4 million each and every year. Uh, because if you were to wind up backloading a contract, so in instance, let's say in year one, you were paying that kicker, you know, $2 million and year two it was $4 million and year three it was $4 million. 
you would then have to pay that kicker like $6 million in year four. And nobody wants to pay a kicker $6 million. So, you know, while I'm not saying that the Falcons should get rid of young Waku, it's not as crazy as it sounds to trade him. If you're thinking, you know, frugally, when you factor in that the Falcons also play in Mercedes Benz stadium, which is a very kicker friendly uh, stadium, you know, this was the exact same conversation that we had a couple of years ago when the Falcons were moving on from Matt Bryant and turning the page on Giorgio Tavecchio. And the justification then was why pay Matt Bryant all this money where you can get a younger, cheaper player in Giorgio Tavecchio and probably get comparable results from him. Right. And I don't think it's a coincidence that young way has had so much success in becoming a much more consistent and reliable kicker than he was several years back in San Diego given that he's kicking in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And then you couple that with the fact that Koo is not really your ideal kickoff specialist, and, and given the departure of Sterling Hoffrichter and the issues that the Falcons are dealing with currently at the punting situation, you don't really have a guy that you can say that guy is definitely a kickoff specialist. Koo has been fairly middling as a kickoff guy these last two years. So that kind of puts the Falcons in a relatively unique situation thanks to playing in their kicker friendly venue that if you were to go with a replacement level kicker to replace young way he would probably perform better in atlanta than he would in any other city in the nfl not to mention that if you were to find a big leg replacement level kicker that could boom those kickoffs you could make the argument that things kind of balance themselves out in the end So before you guys angrily comment and say, you know, how dare you, Aaron, talk about trading Young Waku? All I'm basically saying is I don't think it's as crazy as initially it would seem for the Falcons to shop a player like Young Waku to the Chargers. However, if it were me, rather than trading for someone like Trey Pipkins, I would much rather see the Falcons trade for someone like Jalen Guyton, the speedy wide receiver that could help the Falcons offense help stretch defenses this upcoming season. But on the subject of sort of amending trades to make them better, I have two attempts of my own that I think the Falcons might want to think about making that I think are quasi-realistic. So we're going to have a little bit of fun breaking some of those things down. Uh, and, And you guys can tell me if you like or hate them. But before we get into that, as we continue today's Lockdown Falcons podcast, I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen. And of course, I always have daily recommendations for what should be your second listen of the day. And that today, of course, is the Lockdown Braves podcast. I'm recording this before we know the results of game five, which is a potential elimination game that could prompt the Braves going to the World Series. But regardless of what the results are, of course, Lockdown Braves is going to have you covered. And of course, you can subscribe to Lockdown Braves on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So football season is in full swing. You got the baseball playoffs heating up and the NBA season is just about to tip off. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the action this season with a new updated website and interface and even more odds, props and contests. BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything sports. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today with the promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. The Falcons are favored by two and a half points on the road this weekend against the Dolphins. Tonight's Thursday night action between the Broncos and Browns features a Case Keenum-led Browns team favored by one and a half points at home. You got the Braves trying to close out their NLCS series and the Hawks kicking off their season on Thursday night as well. And BetOnline, of course, remains the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from NBA 
NFL, MLB, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So I'm sure you guys are more than welcome to take the following trades that I'm going to propose on today's episode with a grain of salt. I don't think any of these trades are going to happen. So let's be clear about that. As I said on a episode last week, when we talked about the potential of the Falcons shopping someone like tight end Hayden Hurst to a team like Arizona before they ultimately made the trade for Zach Ertz last week, you know, I don't expect the Falcons to be particularly active at the trade deadline this year, because I don't think they have that much to offer other teams nor do I think their limited cap space is going to allow them to take on other players from other teams that other teams are interested in trading. But, you know, I feel like these two trades, despite those two issues, are somewhat realistic. I tried to be as realistic as I possibly can. I tried to make these trades make sense for both teams and not just the Falcons, because I think oftentimes you find people proposing trades that only really make sense for one team, particularly from Falcon fans making sense for the Falcons, but it doesn't really make sense for other teams. And I think these trades, these two trades, I'm about to propose makes sense for not only the Falcons, but the other teams that uh, are factored in. And I also tried to factor in the cap to to make it make sense for both teams from a cap standpoint and not just basically a trade where the Falcons can dump salary and the other team is just forced to take on a bunch of salary. Um, so I tried to factor that in and I'll be upfront. These aren't necessarily sexy moves. I think the second trade that I'll propose at the end of the show is a little bit splashier, but you know, I, I, this first trade is, is probably not going to have as much flash and sex appeal as I'm sure some people would like to say. So, you know, we're, we're not going to be in a situation where the Falcons are making a big bold trade or anything like that. You know, it's not going to be a situation where the Falcons are getting some young, talented up and coming player from another team that is going to really move the needle for them and solve some position that is they're struggling with for, you know, the next five to seven years, uh, you know, so keep that in mind. Um, but the first one involves the Falcons calling up Dave Gettleman of the New York Giants and Gettleman's kind of on the hot seat right now. And maybe he wants to make a big, bold move. And again, these aren't necessarily huge, bold moves, but a move that can get the ownership's attention that can say, Hey, I I'm still here. I'm still trying to help this team win games. Maybe, you know, allow me to keep uh, my job moving forward and, and show that he's not as complacent. So I have the Falcons getting from the New York giants, Outside linebacker Lorenzo Carter, wide receiver John Ross, and defensive back Logan Ryan. In exchange for that, the Falcons wind up giving the Giants Dante Fowler, Deron Harmon, and a seventh-round pick in the 2023 draft. And the onus for this trade is really the Giants really need an edge rusher, and that's been a big part lacking in their defense. And Carter is one of their starting outside linebackers and was a third-round pick for them back in 2018 and just really has not developed really at all as a pass rusher, but he does have coverage ability given his athleticism. And that's something that we've seen Dean Pease try to utilize for one of the outside linebackers. We complained about it when it was Stephen Means earlier in the season, but just because he kind of scrapped that the last couple of weeks because Stephen Means isn't really good at that doesn't mean that Dean Pease doesn't want that type of linebacker. You have Carter, who is a Georgia alum. He's from Norcross, Georgia. So this would be a homecoming to him coming to Atlanta. He's not going to solve the Falcons pass rush issues, but again, he's going to give Dean Pease that type Type of outside linebacker he typically prefers at that same linebacker role that can drop into coverage and, and allow him to vary up his coverage looks and his blitz packages. Um, and, you know, given that uh, Carter is going to be a free agent after this season, uh, if the Falcons were to acquire him, 
they should be able to retain him relatively cheaply because he's not bringing a whole lot of pass rush ability to the table that's going to drive up his price tag. So the Falcons should be able to land him uh, if they wanted to re, uh, re-sign him on a relatively cheap deal. John Ross is giving you that speedy receiver that I'm, I've been talking about that can help take the top off of the defense. Ross has been a player that I actually proposed the Falcons trading for last summer when he was still with the Cincinnati Bengals. I wanted the Falcons to trade uh, James Carpenter to Cincinnati to get John Ross. Um, Ross, is, of course, is a former first-round pick from several years ago that did not work out in Cincinnati is not really working out in New York. He's buried on the depth chart. Despite all the injuries that the Giants have at that wide receiver position, he hasn't been able to carve out a significant role in that offense, although he's gotten a lot more playing time these last couple of weeks, in part due to the injury to Darius Slayton and the injuries to Kenny Galladay and, and Kadarius Tono. But the Giants are loaded at the wide receiver position, so they could afford to give away a guy like John Ross. I think they can also afford to give away Logan Ryan, who is a starting safety for the Giants, he played really well for them in 2020, but has struggled so far this year. This was fully on display earlier this season when the Falcons played the Giants and Logan Ryan was infamously on the end of one of those vicious stiff arms from Cordero Paris. And I think he also gave up a, a touchdown uh, in that game as well uh, in the red zone. But Ryan is very familiar with Dean Pease from their shared days in Tennessee. And I think he could come in right away and immediately solve the Falcons need at the nickel cornerback position, given the season ending injury to Isaiah Oliver and the Falcons are kind of putting a square peg in a round hole with Richie Grant. They're currently filling uh, that spot. And so I think the Giants trading Ryan makes a ton of sense, even though he is a starter for them because his cap hit next year is going to rise to $12 million. And based off of the way he's played, I'm sure that the Giants would love to get out of that contract, but they technically can't because part of his base salary next year is guaranteed. So the Giants can't just outright cut him. So trading him is their best option. And because of that salary cap situation, the Falcons would probably have to restart structure uh, Logan Ryan's deal this uh, upcoming offseason if they were to acquire him in a trade. But I think, you know, that would be feasible. They could tack on some voidable years do a max restructure or whatever the case may be, wind up saving like $6 million against the salary cap and, and wind up paying him only $6 million instead of like $12 million next year or something like that. So I think obviously for the Giants, the, the, the pro for this trade is that they get to upgrade their pass rush and get a guy like Dante Fowler uh, in sort of the, the the final year of his contract before he's a free agent. And maybe that provides some boost to a much needed boost to that defense. You know, the Falcons, by making this trade, would wind up freeing about six million dollars in salary caps by trading away Fowler. You know, in Harmon, he, he would give the Giants uh, an adequate uh, replacement for Ryan as a starting safety. He has familiarity with that Giants coaching staff, given how many of those guys come from New England, where Harmon uh, had many days there, similar to the dynamic that we're talking about with Ryan, uh, Logan Ryan rejoining Dean Pease. And then the 2023 seventh round draft pick is basically the sweet in the pot uh, for you know the Giants and whatnot given that the Falcons can't give up a 2022 seventh round pick because they already gave that up uh, in the Lee Smith trade. And they can't give up a, a sixth round pick in 2023 uh, because they already gave that in the Julio Jones trade. So the Giants would just basically settle for, you know, a seventh round pick, uh, you know, not next year, but the year after or whatever the case may be. So 
This trade would wind up netting the Falcons overall about $2.3 million in cap space and would wind up losing the Giants about $2.5 million in cap space, which is not idea, ideal, but since they have over $4 million in cap space currently, they could certainly absorb that and still have room left over to be able to make it through the rest of the season. And so, I, again, I think this trade makes both uh, sense for both teams. Uh, basically, they're getting rid of players that are probably not going to be back with the team next year. In Ryan's case, it's a player that they probably don't want to bring back next year, but can't necessarily get out of. And again, this is the way that they could get out of that situation. And so basically you have two teams swapping multiple players that the other team in the Falcons case with Ross and Carter, um, as well as Logan Ryan, that they would probably feel better about kicking the tires for over these next eight to 10 weeks. Uh, And the Giants certainly be in the same situation with guys like Fowler and Harmon uh, being able to kick the tires for those guys over the next eight to 10 weeks if they were to make this trade. So, you know, obviously if the Falcons were to trade Dante Fowler, who's been their second best pass rusher behind Grady Jarrett this year, it would be a significant blow to the Falcons pass rush. But, you know, we already know the Falcons pass rush is bad. So, you know, basically how much worse can it get? Uh, You know, famous last words, I guess you could say. But it would give an opportunity for the Falcons to get more extended reps for Ade Ogundeji, not to mention the extra cap space. And then you could use that money that they would save, that $2.3 million in cap savings immediately to go out there and sign a body that could help contribute to the pass rush. Maybe someone like a Kamale Correa, someone like a Reggie Gilbert that has experience playing with D piece in Tennessee that could maybe provide a little bit of juice uh, to help fill the void by Dante left by Dante Fowler. And then you, you factor in that Logan Ryan was a very effective blitzer when he played in Tennessee under Dean Pease coming from those nickel uh, slot corner blitzes. And if he were to provide more value for the team, at the nickel cornerback position in terms of coverage, in addition to that blitzing ability, then the Falcons could be a lot more exotic with their blitz packages. And maybe again, a a guy like Carter could be more effective uh, as a sort of blitzer with some of the stuff that Dean Pease could scheme than necessarily a pure hand in the dirt pass rusher that the Giants have tried to develop him in. Not to mention Harmon's departure frees up opportunities for Jalen Hawkins to assume one of the starting safety spots, as well as Ryan's addition means that Richie Grant doesn't have to play nickel cornerback and can go and be uh you know get more opportunities at that safety position which is where his future lies as well so obviously you guys can let me know in the comments below uh what you think of this trade proposal if it works for you or you hate it by all means let me know but maybe you're looking at that trade like okay aaron that's that's fine or whatever the case may be but you know give me a little bit more and so the next trade I, i think is going to be a little bit more bold i guess you could say uh, you know, that one's probably going to get your, a little bit more of your attention if this one doesn't necessarily move the needle for you. So we'll get into that trade that hopefully will grab your attention before we wrap up today's episode. But, you know, another show that can grab your attention is, of course, the Lockdown Hawks podcast, uh, as the Hawks are kicking off their 2021 NBA season on Thursday night against the Mavs. Get the latest on this Hawks team by subscribing to the Locked on Hawks, one of the 30 daily podcasts devoted to whichever is your favorite NBA team here on the Locked on Podcast Network. And of course, you can find Locked on Hawks by subscribing to it wherever you get your podcasts. So today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965 with tasty, affordable food. And when I'm heading to McDonald's, I'm usually on a mission to get fries and McNuggets, but McDonald's is also a place where family and friends can reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group. 
where they know they get dependable Wi-Fi and an endless supply of fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, and both the home and away teams can come to recharge. And when you're on that long road trip, when you see those golden arches, you know that McDonald's is a place where you can look forward to rest your legs and refuel. McDonald's has always been there for me. Perfect opportunity to hit that drive through up when you need that fuel to get you through another Lockdown Falcons podcast. So why not head over to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect? Did somebody say Lockdown Falcons watch party? McDonald's, I'm loving it. So I'm sure many of you love to indulge in a nice blueberry muffin every day for breakfast, but that muffin's going to be almost 500 calories, include 40 grams of sugar and only six grams of protein. Why not start your day better and healthier with a blueberry muffin that's only 140 calories, contains six grams of sugar and 17 grams of protein? Well, you can now do that with Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. And if the blueberry muffin flavor is not your speed, Built Bar has several delicious flavors, including coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, cookies and cream, just to name a few. And like blueberry muffin, there's also occasional limited time flavors currently like cherry lime, rocky road, coconut marshmallow, strawberry marshmallow puff. Built bars are great because they contain 100% real chocolate. So they taste just like a candy bar, but you get none of the guilt of eating a candy bar because built bars are healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. Get yours by heading over to built.com and use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. So I think this next trade is a little bit less realistic, but hopefully we'll get a little bit more of your attention, a little bit splashier move uh, with, you know, the Falcons giving up a couple of bigger name players on the roster and the Falcons getting a former Falcon to return to Atlanta. So I'm proposing a scenario where the Falcons assistant GM Kyle Smith calls up his former employer with the Washington football team and says, Hey guys, how much would you want for Wes Schweitzer? And of course, Washington, Marty Herney, I guess, is picking up the phone. He says, okay, well, Wes Schweitzer is currently starting for us at right guard. Normally he's a backup left guard, but Brandon Scherf's injured, so we need him at the right guard position. And they say, you know, if we're going to give up Wes Schweitzer, how about you give us, I don't know, Hayden Hurst, Jalen Mayfield, and Deion Jones. And of course, Kyle Smith is like, are you serious? He's about to hang up. But then he goes, wait a second. How about you guys give us a high draft pick and maybe we can uh, see what we can negotiate. And they go back and forth a little bit. And ultimately they settle for Washington giving the Falcons a second round pick in 2022. And the Falcons wind up giving Washington their fourth round pick in 2022. So I'm sure you're sitting here listening to me say that. And you say, Aaron, that's crazy, right? We're going to get Wes Schweitzer in the second round pick in exchange for Deion Jones, Jalen Mayfield, Hayden Hurst in the fourth round pick. No way. But let me explain. As I see it, Schweitzer is a immediate upgrade at the left guard position, a problem area for this Falcons offensive line than Jalen Mayfield. You know, Washington could plug Mayfield in as their immediate starter at that right guard position until Brandon Scherf returns healthy. And they would also get a young developmental player to replace an older player like Wes Schweitzer, who's I think 28 years old at this point in time. Jalen Mayfield's like 21 or whatever the case may be. And then you look at the Deion Jones part of it. Washington drafted inside linebacker number one overall with uh, James, not number one overall with their 
first round pick in Jamin Davis. Uh, and they need someone that can upgrade that spot, that weak side linebacker spot next to him. And Deion Jones is a perfect fit for that. Regular listeners of this podcast know I've been talking about the potential of the Falcons trading Deion Jones next offseason, basically since March for the last six plus months. Um, and, you know, I, I think that remains a possibility, certainly given how we've seen Deion Jones play these first five games, hasn't dissuaded me that that remains a strong possibility for as a potential option for the Falcons next offseason. And if the Falcons wind up moving on from Deion Jones, they could plug in Michael Walker and see what he could do as the starter next to Foye Olegun. So they could absorb that loss potentially. And then, you know, Hayden Hurst goes to Washington because Logan Thomas, in addition to Brandon Scherf, is dealing with some injuries. He could come in, give Washington a reliable pass catching tight end until Logan Thomas returns. And the Falcons realistically could survive without Hayden Hurst, uh, even with their heavy usage of two tight end sets. Uh, given the presence of Kyle Pitts and Lee Smith. And, you know, given that they primarily use Hayden Hurst as a blocker, they can just easily go out there on the street and find a blocking tight end to potentially replace him if they were looking for such a thing. Um, and then you look at the draft picks. Well, I figure that if you were going to trade Jones, Mayfield, and Hurst separately, Jones would be worth a third round pick. Mayfield would be worth a fourth round pick. And Hurst would be worth a fifth round pick, taking the Zach Ertz trade as our cue. And when I look at the trade chart, uh, uh, constructed by the website Pat's Pulpit, which looks, uh, instead of looking at the traditional Jimmy Johnson trade chart from like 40 years ago or however long it was ago, uh, it's looked at trades that have actually been made over the last, I think, 20 years and constructed a reconstructed a trade value chart that would fit with the actuality of draft trades. And if you look at those trades, you know, Washington's third, fourth, and fifth round picks would be worth the equivalent of 160 points. I do have a graphic for you guys to look at uh, in that regard uh, in terms of those trades. And so if the Washington was to basically make the trades straight up for Jones, Mayfield and Hurst, they'd give us our third, fourth and fifth round pick. Those would be worth a combined 160 points. Um, Washington's second round pick is worth 146 points. So the Falcons, in order to trade all those three players and get back a second round pick, would have to give the Falcons back 30 points and the Falcons fourth round pick is worth about 35 points. And then you tack on West White who I figure is worth like a six or seven round pick, get back the points. It all basically balances out that that would be uh, an equal trade. So for me, I think this trade is, is pretty cap neutral. I think Washington would wind up saving about $330,000 in salary cap. The Falcons would save about $150,000 against salary cap. So it works out for both teams. I think it makes sense for both teams. Washington, you know, gets a long-term development offensive lineman in Jalen Mayfield. They get potentially a problem solver at the inside linebacker spot in Deion Jones, and they get a short-term option in Hayden Hurst to get them back into playoff contention this season. The Falcons get a upgrade in terms of their short-term left guard position. I think uh, Wes Schweitzer is going to give you what you hope Jalen Mayfield is going to be two or three years down the road. Schweitzer is going to give you that right now. You don't have to wait and you get a much needed upgrade on the interior of that offensive line where the Falcons, I think, desperately need one. You're also getting back a top 50 pick uh, in, you know, the Falcons already have two second round picks. Uh, so you now get a third potentially uh, from Washington. And of course, that's going to go a long way to helping this roster rebuild and getting another start premium starting caliber player uh, at the top of next year's draft. You're not really losing a whole lot, given that, that you're expecting Hayden Hurst to walk in free agency. And you're probably only going to get like a six round pick in compensation for letting him walk next year. Deion Jones is again, a, another player that's potentially on the trade block. And again, you know, while Jalen Mayfield does have some upside, I think it's 
you know, not as high a ceiling as I think a lot of people think, given his third round draft status. If you listened to my initial scouting report, and I think it's probably going to take the better part of two or three years for you to get that to fruition. So I think Schweitzer makes a ton of sense. I know he wasn't great here in Atlanta, but he's been lights out for Washington these last couple of years. You know, playing left guard last year, filling in for Brandon Scherf this year at right guard. His pro football focus grades the last two weeks filling in for Scherf. Uh, since the Falcons-Washington loss when Scherf suffered that injury, he's been one of the better guards in the NFL. And I think Schweitzer is a more natural fit at left guard given his past playing left tackle um, for the um, San Jose State Spartans. And so I think his footwork on the left side is a little bit more natural. So again, I think it makes a ton of sense, but of course you guys let me know what you think. Leave a comment here on the Locked on Falcons YouTube page. You can hit me up uh, on Twitter or Facebook at Locked on Falcons. You can send an email at LockedOnFalcons at mail.com. And before we duck out for the league weekend, guys, I want to let you guys know that we'll start be putting up some content here on Locked on Falcons on the YouTube page on Saturdays. And we'll start things off with my scouting reports from this past year's draft, starting things uh, to, tomorrow uh, on Saturday with Kyle Pitts in the scouting report. And so that's the plan for the next nine weeks. You'll get a different scouting report and we'll go in order. So that's for those of you that are regular listeners that just want to go back down memory lane to get my thoughts on what I thought about each of the Falcons draft picks, or those of you that are new to lockdown Falcons and just checking us out on YouTube want to, you know, go back and listen to those scouting reports to get my thoughts on, on those players. And, and certainly when we get to Jalen Mayfield in a couple of weeks, you'll understand why I'm a, a lot more willing to sort of give up on him at this point in time in his career. Uh, if you listen to that, so that's where we'll leave it guys. And of course we'll be back on Sunday to see what this Falcon team uh, does in this Miami Dolphins game. They have an opportunity to get to 500. I think the first time, at least this far into the season uh, since 2018, when they beat the giants um, and got to four and four before their bye week or right after their bye week or whatever the case may be. So, you know, it's been a while. I think that was 2018 uh, when we last saw this team, you know, a month or so in the season at 500. So uh, it, it will be nice to see this team get back, uh, you know, into a position where we can actually be thinking about this team. Hey, maybe this team is a legit playoff contender just because uh, they, they have some games left or whatever the case may be. So that will be a nice uh, change of pace from the last couple of years for this Falcons team. And of course, we'll be back on Sunday with that rapid reaction here on YouTube, as well as on you know the various audio versions of the podcast on Odyssey, Spotify, Google, uh, etc., and Apple. Uh, and you know before we duck out of here, I do want to give you guys one more recommendation for your second listen of the day. That's the Peacock and Williamson podcast. You guys should check them out today, where you can get NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson's picks for this upcoming weekend. Do they think the Falcons will be able to get this win over Miami, get their other picks on this weekend's action? Of course, you can subscribe to the Peacock and Williamson podcast on wherever you get your podcasts on Spotify, Odyssey, Apple, and Google. Uh, and there you guys have it. We'll be back on Sunday for a rapid reaction to this week seven action. I hope you guys have a great weekend until then. And yes, guys, I am well aware that I said Koo was not good kicking off and I was not factoring in onside kicks. And the reason why I wasn't factoring in onside kicks is not because they're unimportant, but they're just not a huge number of plays. Like essentially you, the argument would be made that when you do the math, the average NFL team 
over a four-year period that Young Wei would presumably be re-signed by the Falcons would attempt about seven onside kicks over that four-year period of time. Koo, based off of his success these last couple of years, would convert about f- four of them. And your average NFL kicker would actually convert a little less than one of them uh, because Koo's converted like 60% and the average NFL kicker outside beyond Young Wei Koo is only converting like 6%. So he's like 10 times as likely. So when you do the math, you're, you're essentially losing about one successful onside kick per year uh, from young, from going from young way to a replacement level kicker, uh, which I won't sit here and say is insignificant. Cause that could be the difference between winning and losing, uh, you know, a game or so, but you know, basically in my head, the, the case would be made again, more than welcome to disagree with this, but the case would be made that the three or so million dollars that you would save in cap space over the next four years, each year by not paying young way uh, and going with a cheaper kicker, and, the, and that money could be used to potentially address like two or three uh, problem areas on your roster that, you know, getting two or three level, you know, mid-level starters or low-level starters uh, is worth more than one successful onside conversion. That's essentially the argument that you would make. Obviously, you guys are more than welcome uh, to, to think that the math doesn't check out uh, in the case of, of moving on from Yahweh Koo, but that, that's essentially why I was overlooking the value of the onside kick. But, uh, you know, certainly you can make a case that, you know, two or three low-level starters is not worth costing you a potential win each and every year. So that's the case to be made. I understand, you know, after listening to the podcast and editing the podcast, I was like, yeah, it made it seem like, you know, I wasn't factoring in the onside kicks. I was, I just wasn't necessarily putting it at the forefront. I wasn't really talking about onside kicks and the relatively low number of them that are attempted per year, uh, as part of the equation for Ku's kickoff ability. So wanted to clarify that, uh, before we duck out here, before you guys send me that angry email telling me how crazy I was not factoring Ku's uh, onside kick ability.